This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I hope that this book brings people together. Like, I feel like it's a book that's made for sharing, right? And so I kind of hope that it's a book that a guardian reads with their kid, a teacher reads with their classroom, you know, and a book where all the kids are like, do you see the bunny? I see the bunny. You know, like it's something that is almost like community building, you know, like or bonding. I think that that's what I would really like for this book. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. Today is a double guest show with Newbery, Giselle, and Caldecott honoree, Grace Lynn, and New York Times bestselling author, Kate Messner, who have partnered on the picture book, Once Upon a Book. This incredibly stunning picture book celebrates the joys of reading, the importance of imagination, and the transportive power of books. Grace Lynn is the recipient of the Children's Literature Legacy Award and is the best-selling author and illustrator of over 30 books, including A Big Mooncake for Little Star, which was a Caldecott honor, A Big Bed for Little Snow, Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, which was a Newbery honor, The Year of the Dog, and the Ling and Ting series. Grace is a Rhode Island School of Design graduate and lives in Massachusetts. She invites you to visit her online at gracelynn.com. Kate Messner is a New York Times bestselling author of more than 50 books for young readers. Kate's award-winning titles include picture books like Over and Under the Snow and The Brilliant Deep, novels like Breakout and Chirp, engaging nonfiction like The Next President and The History Smashes series, The Ranger in Time Adventures and The Fergus and Zeke Easy Readers. Kate lives on Lake Champlain and invites you to visit her at katemessner.com. Before I share our chat, here's the synopsis for Once Upon a Book. From Caldecott and Newbery honoree Grace Lynn and best-selling author Kate Messner comes a modern folktale about the joy of reading. Once upon a time, there was a girl. She went to a place alive with colors, where even the morning dew was warm. Alice loves to imagine herself in the magical pages of her favorite book. So, when it flaps its pages and invites her in, she is swept away to a world of wonder and adventure, riding camels in the desert, swimming under the sea with colorful fish, floating in outer space, and more. But when her imaginative journey comes to an end, she yearns for the place she loves best of all. 
paired with vibrant illustrations, this lyrical, expressive story invites the reader to savor each page and indulge in the power of imagination. Well, hello, Grace and Kate. Welcome to the Growing Readers Podcast. I am so thrilled to have you both here. I was hoping that since it's your first time for both of you on the podcast, I would love to get to know you both a little bit in the sense of what motivates you and what guides you and drives you to create books for kids. Um, and why don't we go with you first, Grace? Oh, gosh, that question, we could be here all day. <laughs> but um, it's an interesting question because, you know, this past January 1st, you know, was like New Year's resolution time. And uh, that's also when I was starting to kind of rethink about kind of my writer's mission statement. And for a long time, probably over 20, 20 years, uh, my writer's or book creator mission statement was always that I wanted to create Asian or Asian American books and get them into the mainstream. You know, that that worked when he some odd years ago. But as time's gone on, um, you know, I've gotten more and more kind of philosophical <laughs> about things. And I think now I would say my mission statement, um, which I kind of rehauled for the new year for 2023, um, was that I want to create books that give kids, especially Asian and Asian American kids, but all kids, a sense of home. And when I say a sense of home, I mean uh, a place of welcome where they feel like they can belong. Kate, how about you? What motivates you and guides you and drives you in, in creating books for kids? You know, it's interesting. When when Grace and I were on book tour for Once Upon a Book, we were actually talking about this and sharing our mission statements, which are the same in some ways, but also really different. I think my guiding force in writing and in life really too, has always been curiosity. I've always, you know, growing up, I was a kid who wondered about everything and asked a million questions. And I love to go out exploring in the woods and, you know, turn over rocks and things. And that really is reflected in a lot of the writing that I do. Much of the writing that I do is about wonder. It's about curiosity. It's about nature and history and understanding the world around us and being curious about things we don't know instead of afraid. So that's really my goal for kids is to to spark that sense of curiosity and that sense of wonder. And like I said, Grace and I were chatting about that when we were on book tour for Once Upon a Book. And it's it's interesting, this book really kind of reflects both of those mission statements because our main character has this grand adventure and she gets to explore all these different places and then finds that sense of home at the end. In terms of when you're writing, is there something in your day-to-day -day practices that you think our listeners would find either the most relatable or the most surprising? And Grace, let's go with you. Uh, today, actually, during a school visit, um, someone was asking, asking me like, oh, you know, how, what, what are your habits for writing? How do you get in the mood? And I had to say, well, you know, the truth is, I don't really think there's anything I do that gets in me into the mood. It's just like, sometimes I just have to sit down and do it. It's like, do or do not kind of thing when it comes to writing. I wish there was something that kind of got me in the mood. Like if I played a certain song or if I wore a certain hat, all of a sudden, like now I feel like writing. Um, but no, it's, 
it's just sometimes I just have to sit down and kind of force myself to do the work. What about you, Kate? You know, the same a lot of ways. I think it's it's funny. I, I When kids say, what inspires you to write? I have two answers for that, really. One of them is, you know, the lofty creative answer, which is to say, I love telling stories. And it's magical to be able to sit down and spin whole words, uh, whole worlds out of words. But then there's a very practical answer, and that is I also like to eat, you know, and and um, when you're a full-time writer, you need to be producing work. Uh, when it comes, when it's, you know, when it's not one of those grand inspiration days, and, and those are gifts when they appear, when you just can't wait to sit down and start writing. When it's not one of those days, I do exactly what Grace does. I just sit down and start, you know, and I find that writing, even bad writing begets more writing. And and bad writing, if you just can get yourself to sit down and write something, um, often leads to better writing once you're you're settled in. I feel the same way, strangely, about writing and exercise a lot of the time, um, which is to say it's starting can be very difficult. I have to really force myself to start. But once I'm sitting there writing or once I'm you know running or lifting weights, I'm very happy to be doing it and I'm happy to continue for a long time. It's just the starting that gets me. And so that's what I know about myself as a writer uh, you know, and as a person, if I can get myself to start, then usually everything else is is pretty easy from there. Kate, you mentioned this just ahead of us starting our podcast episode today, uh, but you just got back from Cairo, Egypt from a school visit. And Grace, it sounds like you've already been on a school visit this morning. So how do you kind of manage your days and 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 fit in time for working? Because you're both so popular with your school visits. Uh, Kate, why don't you go first? <laughs> sure. I, I try to schedule my calendar pretty carefully so that I have uninterrupted blocks of time each month where I have time to be writing and days in a row to be writing, especially if I'm working on a novel or a, a work of longer form nonfiction. It really is helpful to have that time, you know, to be able to return to that piece every morning for a period of time. But that said, I also love meeting readers. There's nothing better than visiting a school where the kids have been reading your books and they're full of excitement and questions and they want to share their own stories. Um, and so I, I build in time in my you know yearly schedule uh, to do that too, because that's really important to me as a creator is to get to meet readers. So yeah, I, I just got back a couple of days ago from uh, Egypt. I was visiting readers at the Cairo American College uh, which is a, a wonderful pre-K to grade 12 school. And it was great because I got to visit with everybody from three-year-old preschoolers to seniors who were, you know, just uh, on the verge of of heading off to university. So it was really wonderful. And I love both. So it's it's a balance. Striking that balance is is something that I aim for. Sometimes I do better than others. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, I've got to be a writer again. But um, it tends to work pretty well. And also you learn, you learn to work on airplanes. I was editing you know, over the Atlantic a couple of days ago. So that works out too. Yeah. You know, I used to be able to, especially pre-pandemic, I used to be able to work on the road and do all those kind of things. But I actually honestly have found it very difficult now to figure out how to balance it. So I'm definitely a work in process right now. <laughs> and I think it keeps changing and, and evolving for me, trying to figure out how to balance it. To me, it's kind of like having a child. Like at one point you're like, okay, I've got this. And then my at least my child like she completely changed <laughs> and you're like okay and I gotta do this and so that's kind of how I feel about balancing all my work it's kind of like it works for a little while until it doesn't work and then I have to figure out something else yeah I love that that's almost like a sort of a, a metaphor for life just in general that we're all just w works in progress and life around us continues to change and we're always having to adapt 
here's a two-part question. And I feel like this is going to lead us into what we're really here to talk about, which is Once Upon a Book, uh, which is about the transportive power of books. So I would love to know, like, when did story become an important part of your lives? And was there a pivotal moment in which you considered yourself a reader. Grace, let's go with you. I think I always loved books, but when you were talking about the pivotal moment, the one that flashed into my head was when there was a student teacher in my second grade class who every day after we came in from recess would read a book and she would she was reading the book The Search for Delicious. I remember this very vividly and I remember just being so entranced when she read that book, like in every day, wishing recess would be over so we could go in so she could read the book to us. And so I think I always loved stories before that, but I think that really, really was the first pivotal moment that really took me away and really made me love what stories could do for you or for people. Yeah, this is You know, that's a tricky question because thinking back, I can't remember a time when I didn't love stories. Um, I kind of feel like I was born loving, loving books. And, um, you know, my family laughs. We have pictures of of me as, you know, two years old and I can't remember back that far, but I'm literally running around the house with a pile of books, like chasing people around, trying to get somebody to read me a story. Um, You know, I grew up in a a pretty big family and everybody was very busy. And I was like, somebody read to me. So, you know, if we had guests for dinner, I'd be like, oh, great, you know, fresh, fresh readers. (laughs) Um, So I really can't remember a time when I didn't love stories. I do remember discovering Beverly Cleary's Ramona books when I was um, seven or eight years old. And that was the first, it was the first time I really, I think, saw myself in a story. And, you know, because there were, when I was growing up, there were lots of books about girls who were very princessy and they were good and they didn't get in trouble. And they, you know, they lived in castles and things. And that just wasn't me. And I remember the first time I read Ramona um, and Ellen Tebbets too, with her, you know, trying to do ballet and she was in her itchy underwear and scratching all over and being very inelegant about the whole thing. Um, Beverly Cleary's girls just really spoke to me. And um, that really was a a turning point for me too. discovering this character that I just loved so much and waiting for the next book to come out. You know, it's one of the reasons that I love writing series. Now I write, you know, I've written several series, book novels and chapter book series. And I, I can so relate to those readers who write saying, you know, when is the next book coming? I need that by June. You know, I'm going on vacation. And um, so that, I think that's really one of the things that that made me a reader. It's so fun that you said that because I was just reading about Beverly Cleary today. Uh, she ha- had said that the reason she wrote Beezus and Ramona and the Ramona series was exactly for the reason that there were kids that weren't seeing themselves in books, right? In the sense of how you just described it. It was, it was somebody that gets down and dirty and messy and in trouble. And so it's fun that that's why you related to it because that's why she said she wrote the book. So I love that. Very much so. Yeah. Grace, I read that the idea of Once Upon a Book stemmed from the poster that you created for the 100th anniversary of Children's Book Week. Do you want to talk to us about how the poster led to the creation of this beautiful book? 
Sure. Uh, I was one of the 12 illustrators asked to uh, make a poster for the 100th anniversary of Children's Book Week. And it's always been one of my dreams to create a poster for Children's Book Week. And so when they asked me, I said yes, even though my schedule was super full. I was like, I'm going to make room for it. The only thing that you had to include was a character reading. Like it didn't have to be a person. It could be a fish, anything you want, but something to do with reading. And so um, at the time, I think I had finished up the artwork for uh, A Big Moon Cake for Little Star, where I kind of was playing with this fadeaway style of illustration. And so uh, using that, I just continued using my daughter and had her walking and reading at the same time, but her dress kind of faded away to the wallpaper behind her. And the wallpaper behind her was full of these birds that uh, were kind of looking over her shoulder, uh, reading the book that she was reading. And I just really was so proud of myself after I did that illustration. I just loved it so much. And I loved it so much that I was like, oh, I would love to do a whole book with this character, this feeling that this illustration kind of invokes. But like I said, I ha had a pretty full plate at the time. And I was kind of a little bit out of brain power <laughs> to, to come up with a good idea for a whole book for it. So I asked for help, really. That's what happened. Uh, authors and illustrators, we tend to have these little social media groups and little online groups where we kind of gossip and talk about things. And I went to one of the groups that I belong to, and I posted the picture of the uh, illustration I did. And I said, hey, I just made this illustration. I love it. I'd love to do a book on it. Would anybody uh, want to collaborate with me? Does anybody have any ideas for it? Uh, let me know. <laughs> and then I posted it and I crossed my fingers that somebody would comment and wanted to collaborate and make a, a book out of it. And I was very lucky because someone did. And that person was Kate. <laughs> and before Kate jumps in, can I just say that you said two awesome things during that, that I was just like, yes, we need more of this, where Grace, you said you loved the poster that you created. Like, I feel like sometimes we're all afraid to say that we love something that we've put out into the world. And, and you said that you were feeling a bit like you needed help. So many of us never reach out and ask for help. We need more of feeling proud of the work that we've done and more of asking for help when we need it. So I had to say that. But Kate, now you can take it away. Yeah, so I was on the other end of that screen, you know, a few states away from Grace. And I was also on deadline for a project and taking a break from it to, you know, check in with my writer friends and see how things were going. And I started scrolling. And one of the first things I saw was this glorious painting. It was bright and beautiful and cozy. And I just fell in love with this piece of art even before I read Grace's note about it. So I was like, oh, I've got all these things to do, but you know what? I can take 10 or 15 minutes and just play, um, you know, because here's this beautiful world that Grace has created and basically posted an invitation to play in that world, right? It was an invitation to her sandbox. And so I said, oh, I can, I can take a few minutes to do this. And, you know, I can set a timer on my phone. I'll get back to my project. Um, so I sat down and just scribbled a few lines, maybe an opening for a picture book, uh, and posted it and in a comment and just said, this is gorgeous. Here are a few lines. Uh, and then Grace came back and said, and then keep going. What happens next? So over the next few weeks, I played around with a, a draft until I had a rough draft of a, a story that I was pretty happy with. And, uh, just sent it to Grace and said, hey, see if this sparks anything. Um, you know, this was really fun and and what a joy to be able to 
to write in response to this piece of art that you created. Grace read that and said, I love this. I'd like to add some more layers and play around with it. Is it okay if I do that? I said, yeah, let's just keep kicking it back and forth. And so uh, so that was what we did. So we collaborated from there and over the course of the next few months, worked it into a story that we both loved. And um, the other piece of this that I should say is every author has sort of this, this list of dream illustrators that they'd love to work with someday. Uh, you know, when you're just an author and you're not an author illustrator, you always have in the back of your mind, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do a, a book with this person? Um, you know, and Grace has always been one of those people. I've loved her art. And and so, I was, you know, when I saw this opportunity, I was like, oh, this might be, you know, maybe I could do a book with Grace and, and have her illustrations in it. So that, uh, you know, to get to work with Grace on the story and then see the amazing art that came out of that collaboration uh, was just really a gift. That's incredible. So what did the collaborative process look like in terms of getting the words done and getting the, the artwork done? Like how did how did that work, Grace? Well, first Kate wrote the draft and then we talk about this at our school visits that what that we did to launch the book. And I remember she had like a scene with otters in the in the river and I was like, oh, I'd like to do something more colorful. How about we do the coral reef? So so a lot of things were kind of like things that I wanted to paint. <laughs> we changed things like that just because I wanted to paint coral reefs over the over otters and things like that. Not that I don't like otters. Otters are very cute. But <laughs> just without, I'd like to paint coral reefs more. And then slowly we moved from there. I mean, the truth is for me, when I write and illustrate picture books, usually I'm cutting and cutting sentences more and more as more of the pictures develop, mainly because I feel like we don't need those words uh, because the, the pictures are telling it. So that's kind of my process of creating a picture book is usually the more the pictures develop, the more I cut words. And I was have to admit, I was a little nervous <laughs> with Kate because um, I was like, oh, I hope she doesn't get mad that like, I'm like, let's cross all this out and cross this up. But Kate was wonderful and she didn't mind at all. So at least she didn't seem like she minded at all. No, I definitely didn't mind. And that's, um, having worked with a lot of other illustrators too, that's a part of the process in general, right? When you get the art back, you see there are words that you don't need anymore because the illustration has done that job and you don't want that job done twice. Picture books are so spare with language and that's part of the the poetry and the beauty of them. So I was I was happy to have that that back and forth. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Let's talk a little bit more about the artwork because it is so stunning and there's a word that I always um, sabotage. So, Grace, you're going to have to correct me. But the illustrations for this book were created in, is it gouache? Yes, gouache. Yes, <laughs> I got it right. <laughs> gouache on Arches Hot Press watercolor paper. So mm -hmm. how do you decide even what paper you want to use? Is this a paper you use all of the time? Like, how, like, just tell me a little bit about creating the art. 
Sure. Um, so I still tend to work traditionally. Uh, so all the art is traditionally painted, like I drew it by hand, and then I painted it by hand. The medium I use is wash, uh, which is a thick watercolor, which is kind of like watercolor, but it's opaque. And arches is a smooth watercolor paper that um, I've just been using for years and years because it's, well, honestly, I started using it because it was inexpensive compared to other watercolor papers. And then I just kept going. <laughs> Though every once in a while, I'm always like, maybe I should try a more expensive watercolor paper now that I can afford something more. But you know, you you kind of stick with what you know sometimes. <laughs> I love it. Well, I would also really just love to dive into the dress that Alice wears in the book, because you already mentioned that from the poster, her dress kind of disappeared into the wallpaper. Uh, and so in every, every page, when Alice goes on a journey into a new adventure, her dress changes. It's almost like a chameleon. So Obviously, it stemmed from the poster, but what does her dress symbolize to both of you, actually? So, Grace, why don't you start? And then, Kate, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how her dress changes with the atmosphere behind her. Uh, so for me in this book, um, I felt like her dress kind of melting into the background is kind of it was kind of like a visual metaphor of how you get lost in a book, right? Um, and so not even just lost in a book, but when you read a book and you're so deeply in it, you feel like you become a part of it. Right. And so that was kind of my thought about her dress. Like she keeps going to all these different places. She becomes a part of the book and the story in it. Uh, but, you know, just like a, a reader, you're you're in it. You feel like you're in it, but you're not really in it. Right. So uh, that's why when she's out of the book, her dress is words, you know, and then when she's in the book, she kind of like melts into the landscape. So that was my reasoning and thought behind the disappearing dress. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, when you're the author and you're not involved in creating the illustrations, there's a moment in that bookmaking process where you actually get to see the art for the first time. It's like, you know, the morning of your birthday, right? When you get that email and it's like, you know, you get to open it up and see you know, the world that's been created. And honestly, that was one of the first things I noticed was the dress and the way it changes. And even in the in the one illustration, there's an illustration where she's just stepping into the book and there's just a hint of green starting to creep into the dress as she makes that transition from her real world into the story world. I just, I love that metaphor of, of getting lost in a book. It's how I always felt as a reader growing up and still do when I, you know, read a story that I just fall into. So I thought it was just perfect. Kate, let's stay with you. I would love to know if you have a particular favorite double page spread uh, you know, I think it's still the one that most closely mirrors the original, um, and that is the the rainforest spread. There's so many colorful birds in that one, uh, and it really just takes me back to that original painting that Grace created for Children's Book Week. That that magic of the um, the rainforest scene, and that looked like the birds were actually reading the book over her shoulder. The I just I love that one. I'm a rainforest person anyway. I've written like. I don't know, three different books with a rainforest. So um, that's probably why one reason that's my favorite. But I just love the colors in that piece, too. Grace, what about you? Oh, gosh, <laughs> that's a I, I think whenever they ask for like a piece of art to show the book, I, I usually choose the rainforest piece, too, because I feel like that probably gives a good indication but I have to say that I do like the the one where she's actually stepping into the book. I remember feeling very proud of that one because 
it's really, really subtle. And I think maybe I made it too subtle. But when I, I was painting it, if you look very closely, when she's the place where she's touching as she walks into the book, you know, it's a little bit more yellow and it's more realistically painted. Like the the black line outline gets thinner and thinner as it gets to her. Um, and then she, it like completely disappears. And then the next page, it, there's no black line at all. So it's just this transition that I was really, really proud of a, from a technical standpoint. So so I think maybe there's there's certain things that I'm proud of, maybe not because of the actual how it turned out but just because I was like oh good I really pulled that off like I do know there's a couple of pages where she's holding the book like the close-up of the book and I wanted her turning the page and I was like oh am I going to be able to paint this realistically enough so it looks like she's turning the page and I'm like okay I think I pulled it off so um those are things that I feel really proud of <laughs> yeah I so for me when I opened the page that says for the first time about stepping into the story into the book and so she did are the only words on the page and it's like stepping into the book in the rainforest and that just took my breath away and then my other favorite and I don't know which 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 spread I love the most but it's it's Alice almost in a a star shape herself floating through the sky with the, just a touch of the moon in the corner mm. and the words the soundless stars twinkled and winked as she floated in the moon's glowing light and for me as a book lover I just that just felt like joy and magic and stardust and I also was wondering if that page is a little bit of an easter egg in the sense that it pays homage to some of your other books oh yes definitely it's a definitely a homage to um to Big Moon Cake for Little Star, because it, it also features my daughter. Uh, Big Moon Cake for Little Star is my daughter. And this book is also my daughter in terms of she modeled and posed for it. And I uh, definitely used her likeness and I used her kind of uh, spirit for both. Uh, it's kind, It was kind of nice for me to do that because it's like, oh, now Little Star is Big Star. So um, definitely an, uh, a kind of an allusion to that. I love it. And thanks for pronouncing homage correctly. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I, my kids I think laugh both ways at me. are correct. Yeah, both my ways kids are correct. laugh at me all the time on the way I pronounce things. I don't know if it's because I'm Australian or because just teaching myself to to read words as a kid. But thank you. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure both ways. It's like it's like that word niche, right? It could be niche or niche, right? So I think it's the same thing: homage or or uh, homage. But it's just like whatever you're used to. Like it's hard for me to say what I'm not used to. <laughs> so that's why. I like the sound of homage. So I'm going to stay with that now moving forward. <laughs> so here, let's go with you, Kate. I'm going to ask you this question and it's for both of you, but we'll start with you, Kate. What impact do you hope Once Upon a Book has on readers? You know, the first time I saw the finished copy of this book, I had this moment of of wishing my children small again. <laughs> And they're, you know, they're all grown up now. My daughter's 21 and my son is 26. But this is just such a perfect book for families to curl up and read together that I did. I had that pang of, oh, I just want to shrink them down to their, you know, to, to you know, when they were, they were, you know, three or four or five years old and read that story again together. And my, my, that's really my hope for that is that families who are readers and who love books are going to find themselves in this story and find joy in the story. And, and share it together. And and I, I also love, I think this is one of those books that grows with you as a reader. Um, and because the, it, there's a very simple story there about, you know, how a girl got to go all these places and then she went home for dinner. 
But as kids get older, they're going to see more and more in that story. You know, when Grace and I were out on book tour talking about this book, we were talking with kids of all different ages, you know, from from preschoolers on up to fourth and fifth graders. And it's amazing what those older kids were taking from the art. They were noticing the details and appreciating that metaphor of being, uh, you know, transported through a story. And and they're at an age where books have have taken care of them already. You know, stories have you know, these are kids who who were home in the early years of the pandemic and and stories were their companions. So they really appreciated that that transformative nature of of books. Grace, what what do you hope the impact of your book will be? Yeah, you know, I feel like Kate's put it so well. There's not really much to to add, but I, I would just reinforce what she said about I hope that this book brings people together. Like it's I feel like it's a book that's kind of made for sharing, right? And so I kind of hope that it's a book that a guardian reads with their kid, a teacher reads with their classroom, you know, and a book where all the kids are like, do you see the bunny? I see the bunny. You know, like it's something that is almost like community building or bonding. I think that that's what I would really like for this book to do. Yeah. Well, I, I think it does all of all of that. Um, you said that you brought up the bunny. Do you want to elaborate on the bunny a little bit? Oh, sure. <laughs> um, I get asked about the, the bunny quite often. And there's two reasons why there is a white rabbit hidden in every spread of the page. It, it's a, an allusion to two very important white rabbits in Eastern and Western literature. So in Western literature, uh, there's a very famous Alice who follows a white rabbit. And everybody can usually guess uh, that it's Alice in Wonderland. And the words for Alice's dress when she's outside the book are actually um, cut from pages of Alice in Wonderland. So that's one reason why there's a white rabbit in this book. Uh, The second reason is because of the very famous white rabbit in Eastern culture. And that is the jade rabbit um, that lives on the moon. And in Chinese culture, this jade rabbit lives on the moon and has uh, many powers. It's the companion to the moon lady, uh, the the goddess of the moon. And what he does is he can find your secret wish and make it come true. And, and he lives on the moon. And so to me, this book, Alice makes a lot of wishes that he makes true, but it's only when he, she makes the, the wish that is closest to her heart to go back home, does he get to go home too, that she, he, she, he's like, she's done. She's made the final, the best wish of all. So to me, I put the white rabbit in as kind of a I guess we're talking about homages, homage to my <laughs> my own Eastern and Western culture. It's kind of like this. I'm me personally in my own work. I'm very interested in the Asian American, like what brings it together. It used to be Asian American with a hyphen in between. And I was always always interested in what is that hyphen, you know? Uh, so those are the things that I I think about. And so this book is the White Rabbit is the thing that kind of brings the East and West together for me. Kate. 
Let's go with you. Before we end our discussion today, both you and Grace, you're always putting out books. You have so many books already out there. Uh, I imagine that you have to have some upcoming books. So do you want to tell us if you've got something new that we can look forward to um, after everybody's done reading Once Upon a Book? Of course. Yeah. Um, I actually have two books coming up this spring and summer, um, both part of series. So the first one comes out at the end of May, and it's a new book in the Fergus and Zeke series. Fergus and Zeke are two mice who are the classroom pets in a uh, Miss Maxwell's room, and they love to do everything the kids do. So they've had, you know, field trips and field day adventures and science fair adventures and celebrated the 100th day of school. And this next book that comes out in May is called Fergus and Zeke for President. It's when the class is learning about presidents and Fergus and Zeke are debating what makes a good leader and trying to decide how they should run their cage in the classroom. Uh, and then the second book comes out in August, and that is History Smashers, Christopher Columbus and the Taino People. So the History Smashers series is graphic nonfiction. Um, so it's nonfiction, totally true, but with lots of illustrations and photographs and parts of the story are told in comics. And these books are aimed at smashing the myths that we sometimes learn about history when we're small. So we've done books about the pilgrims and women's right to vote and Pearl Harbor and the Titanic, the American Revolution. And this next book in the series uh, is called History Smashers, Christopher Columbus and the Taino People. Uh, which is one that educators and librarians have been asking for ever since the series began. Uh, I waited a bit to do it because I didn't want to write this one without a Taino co-author, uh, without a Taino voice. And so I was incredibly grateful that Dr. Jose Barreo, from the, uh, who worked with the Smithsonian Museum of the American Indian, he's a Taino elder and historian, uh, agreed to work on this one with me. So we collaborated on this one, and that will be coming out in August. And also this summer, I have a funny picture book, uh, called The Scariest Kitten in the World. Oh my gosh. I mean, I hope you get yourself some free time amongst all these books. That's incredible. <laughs> Grace, what about you? I have one book coming out in September that I'm super proud of and super excited about. It's called Chinese Menu. And it's the myths, legends, and histories behind your favorite Chinese food. Uh, so, you know, um, if you've ever eaten at a Chinese restaurant, you might have noticed like dumplings are in the shape of an ear. And the reason why they're in the shape of an ear is because there was an ancient Chinese doctor who invented dumplings and he invented it as a cure for frostbitten ears. And uh, so there's all these different legends uh, and histories like that. Like, for example, chow mein. The legend of chow mein is that it was invented because there was four dragons who were competing and uh and would kept making the town flood so things like that it's uh really really exciting for me um because uh it kind of shows the richness behind uh american chinese food um i tell the story that in 2004 i did a book called fortune cookie fortunes and in that book, uh, that was a picture book, I found out that fortune cookies were actually invented in the United States, and it's a completely American invention. And when I when I told people that back then, they would say things like, oh, so fortune cookies aren't even really Chinese. And they would say that with such a tone of derision and kind of disgust uh, that it kind of like uh, triggered me because I'm an American-born Asian with... Uh, who has had a lot of identity issues. So I could kind of feel like they 
could say the same thing about me, like, oh, you're not really Chinese, you know? And I was like, you know, we should give this American Chinese food a little bit more respect, you know, like there's nothing wrong with it being American Chinese. So that's what I hope this book does for this cuisine and the American Chinese culture um, in general. So uh, it's not a picture book. It's like an anthology of like 40 stories, um, 40 plus stories. And um, like I said, I'm really, really excited about it. To launch Once Upon a Book, Kate and I uh, offered a uh, a free school visit through the Carl Museum for those who pre-ordered. And that went so well. I'm doing the same thing with uh, with with Chinese menus. So anybody who pre-orders through the Eric Carl Museum of Picture Book Art uh, will qualify for a free virtual school visit. So I hope people go and look it up. That is so neat. And now I feel like I need to go to my nearest Chinese American <laughs> restaurant and get me some, some, some dumplings. And, although when I think about the frostbitten ears, I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, I love I, oh, this sounds incredible. Well, if there is anything else that either of you feel like you want to share about Once Upon a Book um, or even about yourselves before we go, I would love that. Um, Gosh, I think you pretty much hit all the high notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just thank thank you for having us and thank you to all the readers who read our books. I really appreciate it. And thank you to all the educators who share our books. Yeah, wonderful. What was such a pleasure having both of you on the show. And so I just want to thank you both, not just for being here today, but for all of the incredible, important books that you put out into the world that help us to grow readers. Um, but not just growing readers, you're helping us grow really thoughtful and inspired human beings. And I don't think there's anything more special. So thank you. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Grace Lynn and Kate Messner's Once Upon a Book. If you like this show, remember you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecast, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To discover more fantastic books, just like Once Upon a Book, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com. <laughs>